That was a, the early episode of of uh, of one called Beginnings. It's a great podcast that has climbed to fantastic success. Beginnings, okay. It was called Beginnings, and it was um, Andy Beckerman and his comedy partner in New York were running this podcast uh-huh. and they were sitting down with comedians and, and sort of learning about their early days. And the funny thing is Jason and I were not, <laughs> we were a not far enough along, I think to really be considered successes <laughs> in any way. Okay. Right. Um, as evidenced by our current state of affairs. But the, the other funny thing was it was the most cynical state in our career that we've ever been. We were so oh. beaten down. Just even starting. Oh, this was five, well. So beginnings was about taking people who they felt had reached success in the New York okay. comedy scene. Oh, and, asking, and then like, you, were the about you, so you were the guest. You get started. So we were the guest. Yeah, uh, Calter. Pack and Calter. Yeah. Okay. So, um, but yeah. So we were brought on. We had been around for maybe six or seven years. Had done a couple of their shows in, in Williamsburg, and and uh, they were kind enough to invite us on. But Jason and I were just so cynical about the industry, and so right. there's this hour long podcast out there that's just us just so sad and depressed <laughs> taking these questions about like well how did you guys get started and like what would you say is your biggest hope and we're like we don't have any anymore <laughs> we don't know <laughs> we've all our hopes have been destroyed there's no future yeah yeah this is it wow that's hopefully uh we'll have a, a happier podcast than that oh we yeah. will <laughs> we will my life has changed perfect all right well let's go ahead and uh go ahead and get started all right going to do a little introduction. Cool. Hi, this is Anthony Shea, and you're listening to Shea's Lounge. This is episode one. I'm with John Pack. Hello. And he's a very funny guy. He's got um, a YouTube channel called Pack and Calter, and it's some of the funniest stuff I've seen recently. Um, yeah, t- you know what? Let's start Let's start off with uh, Pack and Calter. Yeah, oh, tell me, tell yeah. me more about that. How did you guys meet and everything so we met so everybody i think knows the upright citizens brigade now yeah yeah it, so i know that that's on sunset that's on sunset so i don't even know what that is though oh it's an improv school slash performance space and it's based on this old so these four people including amy poehler um Matt Walsh of two other people whose names I'm forgetting and I'll be chastised by the UCB community for this. <laughs> they fled Good. Chicago to New York and they opened up this theater. Okay. And for a while in the early 2000s this was the 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 life force of like the indie improv scene. Right. And then it started to get some traction. By the time we entered it's like 2005 we skipped UCB altogether and we went to the People's Improv Theater. Okay. So we later like we later came back to UCB. But the point is Jason and I met in a class. Have you heard of the state? Uh-uh. No. The state is this 90s sketch show um that um who are some big names? Michael Showalter, Michael Ian Black. Um I think I know Michael Ian Black the name. Yeah. If I saw his face I know him, I think. Um, yeah. A lot of great, talented people. Basically, the entire cast of Reno 911. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. of course. Yeah. Who doesn't know those guys? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and the writers for a lot of really big, popular movies, like Night at the Museum was written by two uh, former state members. And wow. So, they basically, it was a place where they were pumping out great comedy talent. Yes. 
Yeah. Okay. And they somehow locked in an MTV deal when they were like 23 years old, straight out of NYU. Wow. And wow. Yeah. And so one of them, um, uh, Kevin Allison, was teaching this class at the pit. And so us young comedy nerds were all like, we got to do this. Right, right. Yeah. So that's where I met Jason and, and that spun off into uh, what became Rue Brutalia was the original name. And then mm. we <laughs> changed it to Pack and Coulter when nobody could spell it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I like that name. It reminds me. So what's the, is it Simon and Peel or something? Key and Peel? Key and Peel. Yeah yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I know. I always get the names wrong. Yeah. But it's just funny how, like, you guys had that name before Key and Peel, right? For some yeah. reason, I always, I always make that, that uh, association. It I don't is know a why. very, very yeah. common thing to just take your two last names and put an ampersand yeah, in the middle. Is, yeah. And then yeah. you're like, we're a sketch group now. That's all it takes. That's yeah, all it that's takes. Marx Brothers or, or Abbott and Costello or those last names as well. Yeah. Oh, oh gosh. I'm trying to think about, um, I'm trying to think of British groups too. And that's where you see it a lot. Oh, uh, okay. Um, gosh, Hugh Laurie was in a group and I forget the name of his. See, it's just been so long. I'm just, I'm just just don't remember these details but but yeah so we we went to that very late in the career for the most part we were trips around new york as rue brutalia this two-person sketch comedy group right right yeah very mm-hmm. cool um i say we uh, get right to it let's right. uh we're gonna have a really long-winded no I, I appreciate it i, I like <laughs> like learning about uh the beginnings you know <laughs> <laughs> so let's see so there's no hope i know <laughs> yeah going. So, i'm gonna find that podcast and send it to you so you can play it so right now we're gonna watch uh this video it's called a, how do you pronounce a penny plus uh penna plus penna plus yeah it, it's for men who only have one penis <laughs> so this is a problem that affects 99.9 percent of men mm. in the world yep so Let's go ahead and see what this video has to say about it. I hope the audio works. <laughs> Someone like... I love my husband. He's my soulmate. But after 11 years, things lost their spark in the bedroom. That's when I spoke to my doctor. He diagnosed me with a condition called monopenis, meaning <laughs> I was born with only one penis. I was ashamed. That's when he told us about Penaplus. Penaplus is the number one and only product designed to improve the lives of men who suffer from <laughs> monopenis. <laughs> With Penaplus, you will grow a non-specific number we of functional well. penises all over your body. DP and editor. Thanks to Penaplus, our sex And you got Janet. Yeah. The good yeah, Darcy Carmen. Amazing. Incredibly talented. And she's so funny. She's like I've exactly the same. Yeah. yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> I do. And she's so sweet. I remember... The way um, Penaplus works she was is part simple. of the UCB circle. Just take one pill every four hours. Penises will start growing almost immediately. Show that we used to do now. You can yeah. expect to wake up with an additional penis every day for the next six to 365 days. If you're a guy watching this and you suffer from monopenis, you should really try Penaplus. <laughs> it's okay, we could we'll, we'll improve my play, confidence yeah. so much. Um, people can tell as soon as I walk into the room. So call <laughs> 1-800-DICKS to receive a free brochure and find out if you're one of the 3% <laughs> like Americans beard, able to take so Penaplus. Like, I love how the guy's Rory food comes out. Yeah. <laughs> Most extra penises are capable of urination. Some penises may grow internally. Immediately consult a physician may if you have an eye, throat, heart, or brain penis. You can <laughs> take Penaplus if you're allergic to nuts. <laughs> that's another plus genius life. For men concerned about the size of their extra penises. <laughs> Whoever came up with that, that's great. Yeah, that's great. Okay, I so say. when I saw that video... Um, was that the first one you sent that me? That was probably at the top. Yeah, it was probably the first yeah, one you watched, I, I, yeah. So, um, John basically, 
he came to to a Love Pulse concert. It's a uh, band I play in. And uh, he said that he does comedy, and this was what I saw, and I didn't know what to expect. A lot of people um, tell me they do comedy, and usually I'm not that happy, to be <laughs> honest. I think it's a, it's a tough thing to do, but this, I was like, I was pretty impressed. This is, I'm surprised it doesn't have uh, a little more action. Oh, thanks, you know? man. It's funny. We had waves of action across a lot of these videos years after we posted them. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's, it's strange. They seem a little... Uh, Almost a, l- a little uh, ahead of their time, like playing off kind of like like The Office or it's a development kind of feeling thing. I, I don't know if that makes any sense. No, it, it does. I mean, we used to get that a lot. Our live shows were even more, I think, I don't want to say, I don't want to own ahead of their time, but we were a little more experimental and odd. Okay, and right. So we were definitely in this alternative comedy scene that mm-hmm. now we turn on the TV and it's like, this Everything is, is what that. it is. Yeah. yeah. This is what it's become, but... Man, we had some rough shows in our early days. Really? We, yeah, we were. Um, we would perform with sort of these sing-songy musical theater, sort of Second City Chicago-style acts, and then we would go out and and have a sketch about uh, uh, somebody's dead boy being reincarnated in a puppet. <laughs> and and would people just not get that? It's funny because that sketch that I just named would land most of the time it was just a context thing like was it the audience young NYU students who mm. were was it a youthful audience or right. was it a bunch of 40 year olds who still think that like SNL in the 70s was the best when we're like no I'm sorry right, we, right. we've moved on we've moved on yeah, yeah. um yeah, I, 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 I we have I, we have a sketch where it's a, literally a couple uh on stage talking to their neighbor who's a guest in their house uh-huh. the audience sort of takes the it's a direct to audience piece in a way the audience sort of takes that character oh the speak, audience yeah. is, is the guest yeah the audience is the guest and, and do you, you leave it open like so they can answer the question yeah, make it obvious exactly. got we it leave yeah. rhetorical almost um, kind of thing yeah. and it's uh, it's me as a wife Jason's as the as the husband doing okay. sort of a kids and hog cross dressy thing where it's like we play it with we play it pretty real, you're right? You're um, doing the full, full yeah. dress up. Yeah, yeah, and we're we're not putting any vocal affectations that are. Well, I'm not speaking in falsetto. I'm being oh, as okay, real okay. and feminine as it can be. <laughs> um, so the the neighbors come in, and it's revealed that it's like, oh, their baby's not sleeping. Um, well, <laughs> um, we've had three of our own, so so maybe we can give you some advice. Did you try swaddling it? <laughs> Yet you did, and it didn't work. Okay. Uh, did you give it some warm milk? Oh, really? That usually does the trick well did you suck its dick <laughs> and we basically spend the next three oh minutes <laughs> advising them on how to suck their child's penis wow um, yeah that, that's uh that's I, racy see, i i like that stuff though it, it takes a lot of guts to go out and and and, and do that you know and it's funny if it's know? done if it's done that's the thing is though it, we've seen uh, you know you see a lot of sketch comedy and if it's done if something like that is taken in a heavy-handed way and uh-huh. They're just trying to play off the the fact that it's gross. Without, the shock value, yeah. The shock only. value. It, then, yeah, it falls on its face. But it, it, yeah, yeah. Th- that's the thing. Um, I don't think it's ever good to be shock value just for the sake mm-hmm. of being shock value. Mm-hmm. You know, um, like some some bands. Like I was really into Mars Volta for a while. I don't know if you ever listened I to them. I know much. of them, but I never got deep into them. They're very yeah. like progressive, experimental, mm-hmm. and uh, eventually their album started to just 
it seemed like they were just getting experimental and progressive and weird for the sake of being it. Like, right. you know what? Like, we're already so crazy. We made these insane, wildly soundscaped albums and crazy rhythms and eight, ten-minute songs. Let's do a 20-minute song. Yeah. Like, like, they were yeah. doing stuff like that where um, eventually I just lost interest. I just stopped listening to that band. They were my favorite band for a while. Yeah, it's like a brand spiral where it's like, well, people like us for this. Let's do yeah. this more. And it's like, no, and, that's not... And the funny thing is, it seems like that's always what the studios want. They, they're like, you yeah. know what? This worked. Yeah. Let's do it again. Yeah. And a lot of times the artist has the instinct where they know that that's not going to be the right move. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah. And they go against it and then make a... Not necessarily... The, the best thing I see, and it's predictable, though, is that you'll see a band go to... Move to an ex, uh, a much more experimental or heady album, and then you see them pull back on the next album. Sure. You, they're like, well, I've satisfied that thing. Now I mm-hmm. just want to do something that's sort of bright and popular. And, yeah. yeah. I think uh, Kings of Leon sort of started out definitely more thrashier. And then yeah. they had that one pop album that had, um, what's the song? Uh, Sex si- is on fire. Yeah, yeah, it had that single and it had the other <laughs> oh, song. I had a girlfriend so that huge. was so into that song. Right, yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. But so. it was funny. I remember hearing the old stuff that it's much more like garagey and they really um, had this big shift where mm. a lot of people were were actually upset at the band. Yeah, there were a ton know? of articles. I was never, I never got super into them. I th- I don't remember the timing of Kings Kings of Leon, but I just remember this article that shit talked them. Oh yeah, for this exact thing where they're like, now suddenly they're like, sta- they've gone from sort of garage to stadium rock. <laughs> right. Like, yeah. Who does that? Who does that? Shame how, on you, stadium rock. How yeah. dare you? keep that song in my head yeah (laughs) it's kind of funny and people say that's selling out like um people were saying i remember distinctly uh distinctively excuse me i don't know if that's a word but (laughs) distinctly and distinctively oh wow yeah there we are (laughs) i remember in high school there was this one kid who was talking all this trash on green day he Mm. was saying that they made an uh opera rock album and he was saying he's like that's not how you do it. Queen only does opera rock. It's like, leave it to Queen, you know, saying that when American Idiot oh, came out. Yeah, and it was just kind of funny. And it took a few years, but eventually it seemed like it was a unanimous um, agreement where everyone was saying that, you know, that's a great record. Mm. You know, they they changed their style to get more poppy and, and like political and everything. Yeah. But um, I feel like when you put that on, it sounds classic. Like yeah. you hear Boulevard of Broken Dreams on Jack FM now and... Um, they're you know, classic songs. I don't. You know, this is the funny thing. This is this is a gap. There's an age gap. Okay. Because my Green Day experience Dookie? was Dookie, of course, and that's the best. So it was great. Yeah. But then there was the Green Day backlash three years later, where people were like, "Yeah, fuck Green Day." Fuck really? Dude. Yeah. It was, what, what was it? Another album? The acoustic one? Um, I don't. I think it was really just more that in you know Green Day was super popular in seventh grade for me so every everything that was popular then is bound to get some backlash yeah. a few years later when some kids decide that it's interesting it, to be contrarian right yeah and uh, yeah so so by the time American Idiot came out that's the that was the yeah yeah that was like early 2000s yeah that was early 2000s mm-hmm. oh wow I would say 2004 maybe wow that's way earlier than I thought it was I thought yeah. it was like 2007 
You want to look it up? Let's, let's yeah. see. Let's, let's Wikipedia. Wiki. Folks, we have a computer at yeah. our disposal. You can also take out your phones and call... No, just going yeah. call. <laughs> yeah, we're accepting calls know. now. 2004, yeah. September 20th. 2004. Wow. And so I was... Keep in mind, I'm in college and I'm listening to Modest Mouse high on opium. And, <laughs> and at, at this point, I'm... In the I'm at NYU, uh-huh. and this bright and cheery San Diego kid has been con- in- converted into the most pretentious fucking asshole that you could imagine. Like such musical pretension, <laughs> like you've never known. Um, and and yeah, so I was too snotty to even invest any time I into see. listening okay. to. The, so that was more. That wasn't necessarily a cultural trend. That was just like I was a college going through pretentious a college indie kid. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean. Um, in a way, that's kind of cool, though, because then you get to get sucked into this uh, specific world, right. if, that, if that makes any sense. So I do like the idea of being a uh, contrarian as far as seeing like the weird movies that most people won't see, mm-hmm. listening to, this, to the weird music that most people won't listen to. Right. Um, and uh, it seems like, I don't know, is it... Isn't that the definition of hipster these days? Right. Like, it's like, oh... Is I, there a definition of hipster I know, yeah. anymore? I don't know. I, uh, yeah. At this point, I, I just... I don't even like to say that word, you know? I think it's been <laughs> dropped from the American vernacular. I think we've given it up. Yeah, yeah. I think it's gone. It should be removed, I it's think. It's strange. I mean, it's really strange, though. It was the... Um, yeah, because, uh, you know, I was... I was in... I lived in Williamsburg, Brooklyn from 2004 yeah. to... And then to Bushwick till 2015 before I moved to LA uh-huh. and you know this was like allegedly the heart and soul of hipsterdom in America sure and I can say that it's like it's not what what you noticed was that by 2010 Urban Outfitters is starting mm. to sell like the kids that are going to Coachella and all this stuff are starting to co-opt all all the fashion and style that everybody in Williamsburg thought was they were too so unique and it was so cool it started to spread huh yeah and then 20 yeah. year olds start wearing it and they're like uh, right okay <laughs> um, it's it's like as soon as the the generation's too young you're like I don't think it's cool anymore yeah, <laughs> yeah and I think like the, rightly like hipsterdom got a lot of hate because because it was like you can hear in the narrative here that this is all uh-huh. about um, people who felt in some way like outcasts um, grabbing onto these things that they felt were unique identifiers that gave hmm. them greater depth or so gave it, their life greater meaning. Is that, is that the original hipster or is that the hipster, uh, the modern hipster? I it's probably I it's probably the the thread the common thread. Okay, it's like oh it's all insecurity in some way, <laughs> shape, or form. Yeah, yeah. it's it's funny because. Um, I lost my train of thought. We have but, been uh, on a digression. We have we are rolling along. <laughs> at our, yeah, where? Yeah, where were we? Hipsters? And yeah, yeah. But how did we get to hipsters? I'm. I don't know. I'm not sure. <laughs> anyway, I I think let's move on to uh, one thing we we want to talk about: our favorite songs, their meetings. Um, sometimes I like to think about like what was the artist thinking. Like I've seen some performances where I was just having this. I was in this very empathetic mood. Mm-hmm. Funny song, actually. You know, uh, love me, love me, say yeah. that. You. So yeah. Cardigans. Yeah. I saw a live version of that in like '96, '97, something on YouTube, and she 
she had all this pain when she was singing it. Really? And when you really analyze the lyrics, it's actually a sad song. Mm. Um, basically, she wants this guy, even the mom is telling her that the guy's no good for her. And I could tell that just at that point, she was struggling um, with uh, the romantic stuff in her life. And I felt I felt like teary. I, I, mm-hmm. I, I could I could feel the, the performance. I, I felt I felt like I could feel what she was feeling. Right. And that's one of my favorite things about music um, is where you can um, literally just be empathetic, uh, empathetic with the artist, mm-hmm. you know. So as far as like, I don't know, that's a good question for you. What, what do you think? What are some of the most empathetic songs where you just like, it just hits you? You're like, man. Oh my God. I mean, there's probably so many. I d- there are, but th- I mean, on my mind of late, and anyone who's friends with me knows this that I'm a huge Fleet Foxes fan. Okay. Um yeah. and I think um I don't know them that well. So they they um so I think most people know their self-titled first album pretty well. You know, people know Winter Hymnal and what I think what Winter Hymnal? <laughs> what a fan I am. Well, well they um, appear on like 98.7 like alternative radio here and there. They're get yeah, right? Okay. And I was in a CVS and I heard a cover like a a choral cover of one of their songs. And oh, I was like, wow. where are things going? Yeah, they're um, already getting covered. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, no, but th- when they moved on to their second album, they started to get a lot more thoughtful. And their second al- uh-huh. album, Helplessness Blues, is like this millennial existential journey. Right. And one of the songs, um, I mean, the, the titular song, uh, Helplessness Blues, um, is this question about identity is this question about um do i uh, you know i used to want to be this unique individual and i lived in this sort of right. western individualism but now i'm wondering if it would be better to have purpose as part of something larger than myself right and then it ends in this sort of like idyllic remote setting where he's, he's singing about working on an orchard and tilling the soil while his love huh. works at this store works at like the local diner or the local general store yeah and so he ultimately buys into this sort of sort of i think this this um remote individual i don't know i'm rambling but point well, is well that basically it's funny so you touch on something i feel like <laughs> being a millennial there is something to be said about just the constant existential crisis yeah right i don't know what it is about this time period but um it's like we we wish it was the 60s we wish it was the 80s we're just latched on to these older yeah things that have already happened like with stranger things everything's 80s again like even the killers like go back in the day like i feel like that's one uh decade that just doesn't go out of fashion 80s yeah seems like it just sticks around you know we said that i don't uh, they're all sticking around though it's funny it's like they're all sticking around the 90s fad was predictable by every measure because it was like when the strokes hit we were like okay we're in the late 70s new york rock world right now totally okay then the 80s became sort of the throwback in the mid aughts Mm -hmm. mid to late aughts and it was like all right it's just a matter of time all it is is about it's sort of what you're talking about it's um glorifying the period of our life where we had less responsibility okay we were less i think it was this these idealistic stages so all these 20 somethings mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. 90s were their childhood 
Yeah, for me it was the '80s. So I hear, right. hear like a Phil Collins song or Huey Lewis in the news. And I'm like, this is the this <laughs> was the time, man. But for other people, it's like they hear Salt and Pepper, and they're like, this was my childhood. Oh, everything was perfect. You made me think of that scene. You seen Grandma's Boy? I haven't seen Grandma. Here's a great there, movie. There's though. this one scene where this uh, girl is just like slobbering drunk and then she she sings that song karaoke but she's so drunk that she just has like no inhibition and she's just all over the stage <laughs> like it's so funny yeah and i then, haven't seen i've heard it's like an the, author movie yeah. at the end of the song she just literally passes out and then the guy's like i love this woman <laughs> it's so silly yeah what song does she sing karaoke she sings um it's the salt and pepper or whatever oh, it is right. it's like the main <laughs> one yeah um yeah i i think um i think there's some pining there i, I but i do i will say that um, that that you pass out of it. I think I have I have. Um, if we're rambling too much, because I know oh, no, I'm I was rambling just a lot. No, no, no. You, you don't. Oh no, I wasn't even looking at that. But I was like, we we can trim this down, right? Because because yeah, I'm, yeah. If I'm anything is just kind of like redundant, we'll just trim it. But yeah. for the most part, sometimes the rambling is is the fun stuff. Is fun stuff. Yeah. Well, um, so to to go back to what you were saying about the 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 existential crisis having right. having the constant existential it, crisis, I've sort of passed out of it. I'll say, and but it's taken okay, me thirty five years of my life, right? It's <laughs> like uh, so it takes time. I will say that there's a part of it that that the the nurture time of the, our childhood is increasingly prolonged, and mm. and it's well said. It's, and the the existentialism comes into play during the I think the separation from the life we knew protected from our parents and our passage into adulthood because right. the passage into adulthood is an, is inevitably a question of who am I why am I here what is sure. my purpose mm-hmm. the irony is that the answer to this existential question is to stop asking what your purpose is <laughs> right we're, we're and, all like in just be yeah just be we're all infinitesimally small I think it takes a lot of it, the existentialism is born out of feeling like we were supposed to be special or a gift to the world right. and the ag- sudden acknowledgement that we are grains of sand in an ocean of mm-hmm. other humans, right? You know what? I I feel like... That I, was a weird. A drop of water in an ocean of yeah. other humans or a grain of sand <laughs> in a beach of other humans, but not... Yeah. Well, whatever it is, there's a whole lot of it. Yeah, there's so, a lot of yeah. it. There's a lot of it. And we keep making more of them. Right. Just keep making more people. Mm-hmm. I, keep keep yeah. them, just pump them out. Yeah, just get, I'm telling you, every second, the, the, your existential crisis is growing. <laughs> right. Every know, time yeah. a child is born, you are less significant. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, uh, it's, you made me think of Fight Club where it's like you are not a pretty little snowflake or whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like that's another interesting thing. Like 1999... Um, there, it was a weird topic about just existing, like American Beauty was about that. Mm-hmm. Even being John Malkovich has this weird thing about. It. Have you seen? Have you seen that one? Yeah, yeah, it's great. It's this yeah. weird thing about it, just existing. Yeah, you know. And um, I feel like what was the, the first le- one you mentioned before? Uh, Fight Club. Fight Club. Okay. I feel like the late '90s sort of foreshadowed um, what 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 we're talking about now. Like yeah. as far as like what we're feeling now, it yeah. kind of told a little bit of, of the future just like um in general it seems like a lot of people are um i don't know just uh unsure wh- where to go yeah that makes any sense you know you know i i think there's i think it could be said that when you talk about the 90s and, and fi- the tone of fight club and stuff like right. that you're looking at generation x 
and mm. their angst mm-hmm. and their their angst and their their right. It is a different sense of interaction, right? But I think it's accurate to say that it it foreshadowed. I think the millennial crisis is 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 unique in um is unique in the fact that we're overexposed to other lives. And, oh, okay. And, uh, this is another this is another theory I'm going to throw yeah, out let's here. Yeah, this is okay. interesting. So, um so I think the gr- the greatest existential question and I'm actually working on a on a pilot that sort of plays with this, this idea. Right. The the greatest existential question um is um it, oh my god, I'm completely losing my train of thought. It was okay. uh, it was like Man, I was stoking the fire yeah. like the coals were ablaze, and the, the train just yeah, right. <laughs> just going um, down. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, but I think that oh, the biggest issue is the, is the question. I think we can go back to if you look at. I haven't read the Bell Jar. Okay, um, this recently came up. If you watch um, uh, the Aziz Ansari, um, uh, what is his Netflix show? I'm forgetting what it's called. Master of None. Master of None. So okay. it, the, he ends the first season on this, but this is always uh, this was something that was shared with me by a friend and has I've sort of carried around during those existential 20s right right um it's this fig tree uh, analogy and and in the bell jar she talks about lying under a fig tree and in every fig she sees a different future um, oh wow um the this um you know a li- life uh, in South Africa, meeting an artist and falling in love, or um, mm-hmm. America with a white picket fence—all these directions she could take, all these branches to her life that she can see ahead of her. Right. And I, I think I'll, I'll put a button on the end of that in a second. But okay, um, I think the the issue with the millennial uh, that millennial existential crisis, I think, stems from the fact that we have insight into so many other versions of life. We open our phones, and through social media, we are constantly looking at figs. We're looking at the person <laughs> right. That seems that's a good way to put it. The yeah. juiciest fig, like the person that's sure. the, our friend. You know, our friend that's wildly successful at X or Y, mm-hmm. and the better looking guy, the better looking girl, right? Making more money, living a happier, yeah. satisfied life. Oh, look, they're in Lisbon. They're traveling. What is this sure. life? Right, and and we get the edited down version. But to us, these are all these juicy figs and we're stuck and we're we're unsure of we see everybody else living a purpose where's and my we're fig like, where's yeah <laughs> where's my juicy fig now the button at the end of it though uh, at the end of the fig analogy right is um is she says as i lay there trying to figure out which fig i wanted to pick mm-hmm. they all rotted and fell to my feet oh. so the idea being that this that that it's kind of uh, buddhist sound right all this apprehension we have about what's the right path what's the right choice how will this end up you know it's actually just paralysis that keeps us from engaging in our life one guy i've been listening to a lot um i wish i could quote him but he is so uh intricate and amazing that i don't want to like Jack oh, it really? up, basically. Alan Watts, you ever listen? Oh to him? my god! Yeah, that oh guy. Oh my god! But he one. It's big... all wretch and no vomit. <laughs> Have you heard that one? I don't, I don't know it? if I've heard that one. Okay, yeah. I, <laughs> I love his voice though. He's great. Oh, great voice. Yeah. yeah. One thing he talks about is just getting out of the way of yourself, right? And um, to me, that's that 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 fig analogy is great because um, if you are just always worrying and just stuck in your in your thoughts of like what what's the next move what do i do who am i 
um, time's going to pass. And mm-hmm. then like you're saying, you know, you're, you, you will rot, you know, right. spiritually you're going to rot me- mentally. You'll, you'll rot physically. Mm-hmm. You'll, you'll rot. It's just what's going to happen. And yeah, he talks about how the universe is just all energy and energy is constantly moving. Mm-hmm. So it's funny, like being stuck there, you're just getting stagnant and then you're, you're, you are working against yourself when you start to over question. Right. So I feel like there's, there's always a right. balance you know yeah there there is i think it's interesting because you know it's it's hard to 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 tr- to to try to summarize it all as sort of like a crapshoot it's not we, <laughs> well, we, we yeah. need to feel we need to feel empowered in our lives and we need to feel like we're empowered to to make change and and build the lives that we want to build uh-huh. but it is the inaction and the hesitation i i would say this is funny because you're a music person. You're in music. You're deep in music. Right. I got pulled into music in college. I was in a band uh, with somebody who's, you know, wound up making a decent career for himself. I think he's producing uh-huh. now. I don't know if you know, uh, God, is it called Chairlift? Um, he does some production. And I like the name, but I, I, don't, I don't know. Yeah. Good band. Good band. Um, so um, he pulled me into music and I had always known I wanted to do comedy. And yeah. then suddenly I was like, well, do I do music or comedy? like hint to young self not talented enough at music <laughs> like I love it I love it but it's not my mode of expression right we all right. have a mode of expression but nonetheless I spend like 18 to 25 uh, instead of action moving towards something definitively mm-hmm. I'm hemming and hawing and uncertain of you know where is my latent talent Okay, you're searching still, spending searching your time. Still. Yeah. So, so my message is to stop searching and start I know, it's doing. Fu- it's funny, yeah, I, I've been experiencing uh, that as well. Uh, that's a reason why I'm doing the podcast now. So mm-hmm. I will spend a lot of time in these silly conversations, which sometimes something something good will uh, come out of it. I'll have like a good dialogue, like, oh, that was that was nice, you know, yeah. but a lot of times I'll forget it. So, <laughs> <laughs> so you know, uh, hopefully... Well, I don't think of this as being wasted. I don't think of of parsing through these ideas is absolutely not of a way. no um, this is like what to me this this uh legitimizes what's in our heads a little more totally there's a lot of things i can't put in a song so right so exactly let's, let's just put it yeah here. yeah you know let, I, let's see what happens when 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 it ends up i in, will uh, i will say i'm gonna advocate i'm gonna end up sending you a bunch of fleet foxes because they yeah they, absolutely they dig into this shit they, there's a you like to go back to the stuff that hits us in the gut i remember mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um i remember the opening track Montezuma for Helplessness Blues opens and I'm 30 years I'm 29 years old um, living in a basement room in a four bedroom apartment in in Brooklyn okay um, just moved in with my girlfriend who will in four months be my ex-girlfriend um, yeah I mean just setting the stage for this mm-hmm. my I'm I'm on the verge of 30 and this Get I, I buy this album the day it comes out. First lyrics are and now and I'm gonna fuck this up a little bit so don't That's spot fine. check me but I'm gonna get it mostly right. And now I am older than my mother and father when they had their first daughter. Now what does that say about me? How can I dream of such a selfless and true love? Um, mm. How can I wash my hands of just looking out for me? Huh. So I've lived this selfish decade in new york okay and i'm approaching the year that my my parents had my brother 
and oh wow yeah i'm at this moment of like what the fuck am i doing with my yeah. life i've been telling fart jokes for five <laughs> years and um but yeah it's it's like it, in that's an embodiment of the existential crisis too as a, a comparison hmm. here we are the generation that that we look at our parents who who rose to a pretty you know i would say stable success for the most part right right um the the uh, the baby boomers had an easy go and we're kind of like where's where's my house where's the funny thing is i don't think the baby boomers had an easy go i just think they they worked hard that it was more of a cultural disagree so you think they had it easier they absolutely so you think there was just jobs like coming coming out left and right i mean they went through a few crises but they were in an era where student loan student attending college was not nearly as costly Um, right that's true that's uh, true the the market was a clearer path right we've all taken off we've all learned from our parents and we know that okay well i have to get a college degree to compete in the job market the reason that's uh basically a common a common degree now is that in our parents generation man a college degree my dad has a has a, a graduate degree uh-huh. as well and he was able to take a very simple path towards financial stability in you know it, it's a, it's a, it was a different thing maybe a degree meant more back then there's it a lot did of because people, fewer people had them th- yeah yeah okay well said and there's a lot of people i meet that will get a degree and they don't get any work right. and I'll apply I'll, I'll literally apply to a job that says bachelor degree mm-hmm. and I I don't have that and I just put in some like I, I make my resume look pretty mm-hmm. enough and I'm not lying and I just yeah. I just say what they want to hear the right facts and, and what I can help with a lot of times I'll get a reply back and it's like it doesn't even matter really you know? And I, I just got this from this book. There's just you mean it doesn't matter that you don't have a degree. Yeah, right. I, I right. feel. I mean, it does with some places. But but ultimately, if you yeah. can, yeah, if you can show up and do your job right, talk well, and everything, you can easily fake it. And all just, they're screening <laughs> you for, know? all they're trying to do, and, and this is actually like creates promulgates these class divides. Is all they're doing is they're trying to screen for a basic level of communication skill and intelligence. Sure, um, but. You know, England has it right where I'm gonna again. I feel if I could get corrected for this, but I've talked to a lot of Brits who who share their view on the the American education system, and their perspective is this: It's like, well, in England, there are tracks, and at some point, you can go on to a college track, but they also ha- you can go off to trade schools and mm-hmm. trades like like uh, to be a mechanic or an electrician or an engineer. Or not an engineer to be an electrician, or right. uh, or you know whatever the the simple trade careers you can actually do very well in those or live a very comfortable life. Mm-hmm. And instead, I think the American system is like everybody needs to go to college, uh, everybody needs to go through the system, and that has a corrupted the college experience. So that's not about nurtured learning; it's about going mm-hmm. and and getting drunk. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and eventually getting your name on a piece of paper. Right, exactly. That, that's it's like that well, says that says you're disqualified. Yeah, yeah. it's um, you know, there college college seventy or eighty years ago was was about this insular world walled off from the la- the rest of the society uh-huh. that was in totally focused on on not totally i mean fraternities have been around for a hundred years but right um, right but was more focused on this idea of of 
uh, of like training the mind and and learning, you know, and and, and true learning. At least yeah. this is what Joseph Campbell talks about. He t- he paints this picture of like this idyllic campus scene where it's like it was all about it was fucking dead poet society, man. <laughs> yeah, was, right, 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 right. You know, it's funny. So, um, one thing I'm noticing a lot of um, people that are younger than me. Um, I'm not super old. I'm 27. So let's say people around their 20s, early 20s. A lot of people just aren't uh, reading that much anymore. Oh, man. That yeah. it, it, it scares me. Because Do you read a lot? Do you have the opportunity to read a lot? I, it's funny. I, I go through phases where I'll, I'll just be, uh, I'll, I'll like to read every other night, every night kind of thing. And then I won't read for like a, a month or two. I'll always read stuff online. Mm-hmm. But um, like some of the last stuff I read was, there's one book called The Book on Making Money. Very right, very basic kind of thing. Also, um, yeah, how do I, 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 that's a great book. Yeah, how to win friends and influence people. Yeah, yeah, the, say people's names. Exactly, that's Anthony. a big one. Yeah, and <laughs> um, remember pe- people's names. Remember people's names. You know. Yeah, and it's funny how uh, very basic concept. Just the idea. You just have to listen. Yeah, and we all struggle with that. You know. God. And it's not I, I don't think that's a generational thing I think that is just a personal choice that you make 100% human yeah. yeah because I mean let's go back you were about to make a point about something I fucking cut you off uh, to, to ask <laughs> I how mean, you were saying people aren't reading and it concerns you I don't know if the idea was complete but but I think you were no I mean for the most part I, I didn't want to, to to go off on a tangent with that you know just in general I just noticed that um, I don't know what it is maybe they just weren't they didn't have the right people to maybe they were forced to read or something or right. it's it's maybe it'd be good if you can choose like uh, do an assignment like right what, what's your ideal story what do you really love and then yeah. and then the teacher would pick out a book for you yeah like you know amazing yeah why, why not make it more about the students you don't don't yeah. don't just have this like cookie cutter this this is what we're learning today people yeah you know what i mean yeah it's funny that you say that though i, I just watched the movie wonder which is not as cheesy as wonder okay yeah but, it's it's about this kid with a genetic uh, something or other. He has a de- facial deformity and okay. it's yeah. about him and has influence on the people around him. And it, it's it, in, you go into thinking, oh, this might be a little cornball, but it's really well handled. Point right. is though, there is a sister in there that is constantly reading and it, I suddenly had these flashbacks of me in high school and how literate I was and how much reading we used to do when we were in school. Yeah. And I agree with you. I, I've just recently... I'm I'm trying to wean myself off social media. Mm-hmm. I'm even thinking about something really extreme, which is like cut all ties with social media and okay. even news because it gets sucked into this political yep. environment and political news oh, yeah. way too easily. Um, you never know what to believe either. Yeah. And, and so, I mean, I know what not to believe. I know what to believe. Yeah, I know that, what to that's believe. true. I mean, I, I'll take the mainstream you can media over, over red state any day. <laughs> um, yeah, but I'm I'm with you. Yeah. But uh, but uh, you know, it's just it still is just too it's too consuming. It's 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 and, and how much time do we lose on these things that I I quit fa- I did this before. I did this like 6 months ago. I I quit social media for a month. Right. And it was at the time that I was reading I think I was reading Ready Player 1, which is an incredibly engaging fun book. Hmm. Um was there a movie? There's a movie coming okay. out. Yeah, yeah. Um okay. but uh really fun book really engaging book and the trade the the trade-off was really interesting all the times that i would typically reach for my phone 
check the news, right. go on Facebook, or go on Instagram. Instead, I had this book that I yeah, was engaged reaching with, for the and book. I reached for the book, and, and mm-hmm. that ends up filling those moments. Exactly. Instead, yeah. And you, you, get it, you get sucked into this beautiful story. Mm-hmm. You, and to me, one thing that uh, I had this, I have this friend, Kai, and he, um, talented guy, he's a video editor at like age 19 and stuff like that. Oh. And um, he, he lived- Kai. What was that? Shout out to Kai. Yeah, shout out to Kai, <laughs> Kai Wildermuth. And um, he used to live out in LA. We we were uh, good good friends uh, hanging out like every weekend kind of thing. And he ended up moving back to Maryland. It, film really wasn't his mm-hmm. his his big dream. Mm-hmm. Um, I forget. Uh, I lost my train of thought. What, what were we talking about right before this? Fuck. Yeah. Um, God, we were talking about um, Jesus. I'm like a little too far through my my tiny ounce <laughs> beer. It's okay. Don't worry about um, it. It's part uh, of the fun. No, we, so we were talking, well, one thing that I, I definitely wanted to come back, we were talking about quitting social media and replacing it with books. Okay, yeah, more. yeah, yeah. So, okay, so Kai, I, I got it back. All right. So Kai told me this one thing that I, th- I thought was brilliant. I've never heard anyone ever say it, and it's so simple, that uh, he said, I really like to read because I like to experience someone else's perspective. Mm-hmm. And to me, that is that is a very valuable thing mm-hmm. to 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 know how someone thinks or or at least how how they tell a story um i just think that's a beautiful thing like like you can't get it the same way from from a movie or a song because yeah. the book just has a little more there for, yeah. for you for you to see well it actually lets you go into the mind of the yeah, yeah. you, you got to go into the mind cuz i feel like the way a book's written are more I don't know. Is it more like a thought process? A song is more immersive in the mind of the character. Yeah, it's right? more immersive in the mind. Yeah, and um, I told that to another friend who doesn't read. I think he actually admitted to me that he's never read a book in his life. Oh wow! And um, he's going to go uh, unnamed. But <laughs> no shout outs. No, <laughs> yeah, shout, no outs. shout out to him. But anyway, uh, I told him that, and he just like seemed like he just wasn't uh, interested in it. So, which is fine. I mean, yeah. to suit yourself kind of thing. But um, I don't know. Like, is that, again, is this back to a generational thing? Are, would you rather see, are you more interested in like someone's like more like, like the, their physical uh, realm, like like the, their pictures, their mm-hmm. their, their tweets? Mm-hmm. Um, or are you more interested in their, their thought process? Do you, you think know? that, do you think that this is, I mean, this is, uh, I, I think part of the addictive nature of, 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 like Instagram, for example. Sure, sure. Is that um, reading takes more effort and work yeah, right. and focus, sure. right? More effort. Yeah. Um, it has potentially a richer rewards, but our brain, unfortunately, is very hackable. And oh yeah, and the thrill of looking, flipping through images, is is actually in the short term. It's the short term way reward. more rewarding. Yeah, yeah. Way more rewarding. So it, totally, it really is like um, it's like you have this kind of drug of of the social media, mm-hmm. where you can you can stay sober, read a book, and eventually you're going to get a better a better natural high mm-hmm. from it in the end. But you have to put in more effort, kind yeah. of thing. Yeah, yeah. I I, I, I believe that. Yeah, I mean, all these apps are built to sort of hack our brains, and I think the the you mentioned like the natural high. What's interesting is that it's 
it's almost it's like such a vastly different high too and we're also sure. hooked into this dopamine kick these little dopamine kicks right right empty little dopamine kicks i think the thing that pushed me off of facebook was the realization of like this does nothing in the big picture this is mm-hmm. empty like i will never glean anything of meaning or val- i mean yes i read great articles from it sometimes but i'm i guess in terms yeah, of, like, yeah, of building the it's life exceptions. i want uh-huh. is there any forward ro- momentum in my life that's going to take place through facebook right no <laughs> to me uh, unless you're having a successful brand a facebook page that's doing well where you're getting people to c- go in and buy your product or you're getting more views and yeah. everything your personality well, on Facebook. it's a necessity yeah well this is the crux of it though is that does this mean that and this is apparently uh who was this like I, this might have been nietzsche somebody somebody a friend of mine who was a philosopher i brought this up when i was Younger and and now uh-huh. it seems like a really awful like an Ayn Randian horribly elitist thing to say, but <laughs> okay. what you're describing breaks the world into two people, basically the uh-huh. creators and the receivers. You end yeah. up. Are we here to make media and exploit people's or you know short term satisfaction, or are we here to just be exploited <laughs> yeah. by media? And right, right. it's a terrible fucking binary that I just built here, but it does feel like that sometimes. Yeah, are you going to shoot the monkey up into space or are you going to be the monkey? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, it's, it's fucked up because there is so much media that there's not enough time to make and create it and really invest and be a, mm-hmm. a, a real listener, viewer, or whatever it may be. At the same time, it's really hard to balance those two. Yeah, um, it's interesting. So... Like I wonder what like let's let's say like a popular personality um, Twitter like who who's the, throw out a big Twitter personality Oh gosh I don't know I don't There's know so I'm many not, like, I know on yeah. Twitter Same here yeah. Yeah, yeah but it's funny like I wonder if in their free Jake time Tapper? I don't know that's who, CNN Let's, let's say Whoa. who I, I don't even know let's say whoever I wonder if uh, they're in their um in their free time if they're just doing these silly like post to their friends and stuff like blah 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 blah. I'm sure they have their private Facebooks where they they can like screw around and everything so I I don't know in a way uh, there's a there is a place for that as well right but um I I guess I'm just so troubled by the idea that like here we have this incredible platform for sharing do do you just feel like it's just a lot of it's just a lot of wasted space you think no I think it's valuable and that's I think the struggle I have with it is like I also understand like again if you have something to share with the world yeah these are incredible platforms to do so. Yeah. But I think it's really hard to to be both, to be the, the sharer and the be the, the, the person sharing. The and, influencer and the influence. Yeah, I the think same it's time. a really hard thing to straddle. It's like most people I know who are, and I say this because going back to what I was saying about the the how Facebook and Instagram and social media robs us of time in mm-hmm. ways that we can't, we don't even really think about on a, a day-to-day basis those five minutes it, here eventually if you get sucked into it then yeah then you if you were to have a timer yeah you, know, you, you might be surprised at how much time shocked. you are spending shocked yeah i, I had one of those on my phone you did oh yeah you had a social media timer what yeah time there's it? a thing you can download no, and that's it tells great. you how often you're looking at your phone yeah and you look at it and it's like four hours today what the fuck is wrong that's with a long me? time yeah, it, yeah it's funny how um it's an instinct thing too. So you get used to pulling your phone out. So I know, I know that I've been stuck in the middle of a thought or doing something, and all of a sudden, I just like wake up and I'm staring at, at like a Google page, and like how did I get here? 
Like right. it's like I woke up in a dream, and it's like it's just like it's that right. that you thing of it's called they call that screen sucking. Screen sucking. Okay. Um, could be a better word for that. Yeah, it could be a better <laughs> word for that. I mean, that may be outdated. I think yeah. I read that in an article in 2010. That, that was before that's what she said. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Long ago. Um, are you familiar with um, randomized reward? I think that's what it's called. No, no. Um, basically, this is what makes gambling so addictive, and you're going to see mm-hmm. uh, uh, parallels to your phone usage, too. Okay. Is that um, we think intuitively we're like, oh... If I put a rat in a cage and it pushes a button, and every time it pushes that button, it gets a reward, that's going to be an addictive behavior. Right. Well, if we put a rat in a cage and it presses a button and randomly is rewarded, mm-hmm. it's like a billion times more addictive. Yeah, that it's makes sense. far, far more addictive. It's because you never know when it's going to reward you. Exactly. So you want to keep, you want to stay there and wait for your big reward. And that's a bigger dopamine payoff, right? Yeah. That makes sense. That um, makes perfect sense. All of all of our phone addiction is built around that same randomized reward idea, right? Okay. Um, Tinder's addictiveness is, or like Bumble's addictiveness, mm-hmm. is is completely dependent on that. The idea of like, oh, will I swipe, when I swipe this time, will I get the payoff? Is it going to work? Yeah. Is it going to work? Or checking our email. Uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. Even just lifting up our phone to see if we got a text message. This yeah. is all randomized response, randomized reward sort of, addiction sure yeah. yeah to me um it's kind of funny because yes i'm ad- i'm addicted to music but thank you like i'm yeah, glad for right. it you know it's funny right. that there's these levels of uh addiction where you can it doesn't have to be a vice i guess yeah, yeah. you can use it you can use that yeah. you know um so I think you're uh, describing a different kind of addiction though probably yeah, yeah. addiction is probably not the right word because so, it's, yeah, maybe that's like a creative obsession. I do want to. I I do think we need to give more attention to why our parents had it better than us. Yeah. L- okay. Let's, l- l- let's go. Do back. you have your list of topics? Yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. we've pretty much gone over um, all the topics. I got a, a f- something else I can go into, but let's. Uh, I just I I do want to just say that that the idea that boomers had it better is yeah stu- l- l- is like I'm in curious. the data. It's like in, in the, the data. data. Okay. So tell me. Tell um, me. We're the first generation that's that's has a lower income. I think it has a lot to do with the growing gig economy. It has a lot to do with well, the nature that, yeah. of changing jobs. But remember that when our parents went to work, uh, pensions still existed. You were still... Mm. It, it, my dad's been working at the same company for like 40 years. Right. Um, and so the whole nature of, of work and employment was different. But also they were all... They were the... They were the first generation born into a po- that post-war economy. Sure. And the post-war economy was... Was like just booming? F- booming, It was man. on fire. Yeah. I, somebody was sharing this uh, with me, uh, you know, fairly recently, this idea that um, after World War II, all of the factories in Europe across the world are bombed out. Right. America almost has a monopoly on production. <laughs> I'm sure, yeah. Yeah, and so we, you know, factories are, so so that generation comes back from war and they can work at a factory and be paid wages that can support a Good middle wages. class yeah. life. And our vision of the, what the middle class means is is mm-hmm. born out of that, you know, the 50s where it's like, yeah. well, everybody gets a chicken in every pot, everybody gets a TV, everybody gets a cell phone now, Ra- right? We all got a radio. We all got yeah. a radio, we all have a refrigerator, yeah. all these, conv- everybody gets a car. Everyone um, has a car, yeah. And you don't see that in a lot of other developed uh, 
well, you do in, in Western Europe, blah, blah, blah. Eventually. But, yeah. I, but um, the argument is that this is that our idea of, 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 a, of a thriving middle class and what we had as a thriving middle class was really just the echo of a war, post-war boom. Yeah. And we're, we're fighting, we're grappling to maintain it but the nature of our new economy doesn't really let that take place. It's mm. not we're not built for that. And so we're the finally the generation that's that's seeing that decline in production and the shift to a global economy and Yeah, whatever. and it's interesting how um you know, with technology and computers, a lot of things are just uh, just being replaced by a computer. You know, right. well, automation we're dealing yeah. with automation too. Get self driving yeah. cars and everything. It's like all this yeah, all the attempts to save the coal industry, and it's like nobody's like the coal industry is gone primarily, I think, because of automation is what people <laughs> are saying. It's like there's no there's unless just we want to go a lot on of jobs of, now. For yeah, you, we're no. gonna have to fight the robots, man. We're yeah. gonna have to go to war with like, the robots. Like, uh, are uh, is a drone gonna be delivering my my pad thai? Yeah, you know, eventually. in like five years. Every time I take a lift. I've had lifts and Ubers where we start talking about self-driving cars. Yeah. And it's weird because I'm talking to the person about the that's thing that's the right eventually guy to, to talk take about their job. Yeah. yeah, yeah. 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 Anyhow, that's all I wanted to say. Our parents our parents had a had a pretty good ride. Yeah. So uh speaking of your uh, parents, I'm curious. Um so who growing up influenced so there must have been some funny people in, in your life. You know, like who 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 was funny in your life? Who is it's there so weird? Um uh, um shoot. You know what? I, honestly, I didn't have it in my parents. I um, because, like, as you can tell, I'm really more of like this is my dad that is sitting down at this podcast where it's like <laughs> I just want to talk about academic intellectual shit right, forever. Right. Um, but so, like, your 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 dad was a uh, he w- w- was was he a funny like a clever guy? No, was he? no, okay. he's he's an academic. He's like a hardcore academic. Okay, okay. Went through so the, pretty know, serious, serious guy, guy. serious okay. thoughtful guy. Okay. Yeah. Uh, my mom was a little louder, but neither of them had like the sharp, have like a sharp, a sharper wit or anything. Yeah, yeah. No, I think it was that I was leaving. I, I moved in sixth grade, and um, suddenly I didn't have any social pressures because I was leaving. Oh, and, and it was this thing where. Where, it's where like, did you go to? I moved from Carlsbad, California, to Del Mar, California. Oh, okay. It was like twenty minutes away. <laughs> But you I had no like a stakes. Huge <laughs> yeah, no, but I had no stakes, and suddenly <laughs> back then, twenty minutes is, is a is yeah, a twenty big minutes was though. a world away. You're right, yeah. you're right. You're um, right. And uh, my guard goes down, and suddenly the stuff is coming out of me that I. I oh, didn't. okay. Yeah. So, uh, so basically, you became a little bit of the anti antithesis of of what you you were around your parents a little bit maybe maybe I mean um, I don't know if that's right well word, my parents are very supportive creative people like their favorite oh, okay. one of their favorite okay. shows is they're, South Park they're they're, they're, they're they love oh, good humor okay well, so, so they, watching they, the they know humor and, then yeah you know what it was it was like watching early 90s SNL and just seeing Mike Myers and Dana Carvey and just just let loose just just that type of the, yeah just that inspired expression that I saw in them and it's funny though because like that's all changed you know I it it all changes. I I'm not pursuing comedic performance. I, 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 I I'm I definitely think of myself, and I think it's evidenced probably in, like what we've talked about in our topics. Is that yeah. I'm really somebody who expresses myself in humor and jokes written more than it is in person. Yeah, right. There was right. a big shift in my life where I was class clown in high school. 
Really? And yeah. Oh my God. I was I was off the wall, and sometimes I find things that I wrote or records of things, of performances or things that I did because I did a lot of like goofy sort of pranky performance uh-huh. comedy. Um, and I'm and, and I'm it blows my mind because it doesn't feel <laughs> like me. I'm like looking back as an anthropologist, and I'm like, what the fuck? Sure. Where like, did this come from? Where did it come from? Yeah. Yeah. But um, but to wrap it up, it's like. Um, but yeah, I think, um, I think the, the bottom line is that at some point I realized that I wanted to build sincere connections with people. Okay. And you can't do that if you're always looking for the joke. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Right. Right. Yeah. If you're just always trying to just throw a punchline out there, then I guess, you know, um, your conversations are only going to be so deep. Yeah, because you know? I love this shit that like we dug into. Yeah, yeah, that's, it's been that's it's, my favorite. It's been stuff. a good. It's been yeah. a good opening podcast so far. Yes, it's been this fun. is the beginning. Shay's Lounge, yeah, everybody. The beginning. Yes, <laughs> episode one, the beginning. Yes, you're going to call that back. You're going to call back our earlier conversation and plug it in. Right. So uh, I, I will okay. plug that in. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. All right. So that is a callback. Right. Okay. Call back to the uh, to the to another podcast. Yeah. So I have a funny thing here. Um, I was cleaning through the house, and um, we have a, a a board that we pin stuff, mail, and everything. And uh, it's not here. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I, it's yeah, right I was there. looking around. I yeah. was looking over my shoulder. Um, it's in the uh, it's in the kitchen. It's that mm-hmm. uh, the cork board. Oh, the cork board. The cork board. Oh, yeah. um, I used to live here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. Uh, by the way, everybody, John used to live here. I know the cork board. Yeah, so you know the corkboard. So yeah. the funny thing is, I found two items uh, of mail for you. No and way. I thought it might be fun if you want to open. I it. do want to open yeah. them. Yeah, absolutely. Let's see. And um, hopefully, it's nothing too important. I, I feel it. a little bad about it. Oh but no, it can't it's, be it's, that important. It's good for the. It's good for the show. Holy shit! Is one of these a wedding invite? Yeah, I know. That doesn't that look like a wedding invite? Doesn't this it? looks like a wedding invite. Oh shit! Yeah, see, shit. The, <laughs> how recently did this come? Honestly, I think this has been here for months. Oh no! Yeah. So is that? A <laughs> oh, oh, we already went to this wedding. Okay, good. I just want to be clear. <laughs> What's the date today? It's March. March. Oh man, six. It's like wait, the wedding's tonight. Let's go. It's uh, <laughs> it's March sixth. It's March sixth. This wedding took place September 9th. Of <laughs> oh my god! So so you went you went to the wedding, right? We went to the wedding. Um, we were wondering where this was. <laughs> um, oh, man. Raising me very happy to have found this. Cool. Okay. Reading results. You made the difference. Yeah. Well, what the hell is this? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I was at a, I was at a uh, marketing conference for okay. my for my day job right, in right. Portland, Oregon, and uh, one of my big clients set up a the reader. I yeah. like that. So basically, it's a nonprofit that helps. Uh, that helps students learn to read. See, that's what we're talking about. That's exactly, it's very topical. Yeah, learn, learn to read. Yep, and so I, I don't even know, you know. So how, how did you make the, the difference in this? I, I think I passed along $20 and and, okay. and this child dressed in the Spider-Man outfit. Uh, he can read now. Yeah, he can read now. He can read now. Wait, does it give me any specifics? There are no specifics in here. It just says somebody wrote, scrawled in pen and in ink on the front <laughs> yeah. of it. You made the difference. But hey, I, I, I like the personal touch. At least someone someone wrote that. Somebody to you. wrote it in yeah. ink. It is not A one of those printouts that yeah. where they print it to look like handwriting. That's not toner. That's yeah. ink. That is ink. That is human hand is ink. Ink, flaws and all. It's flaws and all. Yeah. 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 
Well, don't I feel good about that? Oh, it's a shame I missed this wedding. No, it's not. I know, we, you made we, it, right? We yeah. made it. We so made it. How, how, what, was it a good wedding? Was it was it a fun? wonderful wedding. Um, where, where was it? It was in Strongwater, Columbus, Ohio. Wow. It was in Columbus, Ohio. It was my first time in Ohio. Ohioans are asshole drivers. Really? Holy shit. Really? Oh, my God. We were trying to merge into a lane, and Ray and I are, 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 are driving. Yeah. So worse than L.A.? What's that? Worse than L.A. You know what? The, the roads are more open, so you can just be a fucking yeah, asshole. Yeah, that's true. You can, nobody notices. That's true. That's true. Except you just get for this, used to it. We're trying to, pull, we're trying to get into this lane for a left turn. We're trying to pull in from like a shopping center uh-huh. and pull into this, merge into this left lane. And we're edging our way in, and there's this, this um, SUV filled with the family. Husband's like sitting passenger, so he's looking out at us. Right. And we look at him like, yeah, we're going to do this. He looks at us and shakes his head. No. Oh my God! He just, shakes his head. He no. He looked at us and shook his I've head. I've never even seen that before. Oh my God! In front of his children. Wow. Yeah. Oh man. Wonder what. So you think? I wonder if was he teaching the kids a lesson? He's like, you see an out of state plate, you shake <laughs> you, your head. Yeah, you shake your yeah, head. You no. do not let. This is our state. Yep. Yeah. Those it was a Pennsylvania plate, so it wasn't like we were. Okay, but yeah. I mean, I, we went. Then we went to this wedding, which was mostly New Yorkers and 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 uh, and well, it was like half New Yorkers, and mm-hmm. and people were like, "Yeah, Ohioans are asshole drivers." Really? And yeah. Like, so wow. It's, wow. So it's funny. Salt of the earth. Well, I went to. Uh, I was working. I used to do film stuff and uh, behind the scenes, and I worked on this movie called uh, The Warriors Gate. Mm-hmm. I I never saw it. I don't think it's a very good movie. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I know I hate to say that. Well, not really. But um, it was fun to be uh, to be out there and work. And anyway, we had this one driver who drove perfectly normal on the freeways, like just quiet, nice mm-hmm. guy. And all of a sudden, whenever we would exit, get into a town, he would be going like fifty miles an hour and like a twenty mile per hour thing. Like there'd be hit like head on traffic. He'd be like making lights. Like all of a sudden, about like to hit he was a guy. Great on freeways, but bad. On yeah, he was terrible in town, but great on freeways. It was the weirdest wow. thing I've ever seen. And wow. so he drove us to uh, Hengdian. Right? It's like the largest studio, uh, movie studio in China. They shot Hero there. You were in China. Yeah, yeah. I, I worked. Uh, I, I, I had a, uh, a friend I used to work for. Um, old friend. We're not friends anymore. Just we had a falling out. <laughs> oh, bummer. But. Um, he just didn't drive well in towns. <laughs> it wasn't like, him that was driving. My life. <laughs> now he was he, he was he was fine at driving, but okay. uh, this guy <laughs> it was just the weirdest thing ever, man. He he literally like made it where I accepted my fate. It was like, you know what? I oh might die God. tonight and I can't do anything about it. So, oh let's God. just let's just hope for the best. And like there's this one South Korean movie called uh, I Saw the Devil. I don't know if you've seen no, it. I don't it's know. super graphic, crazy. But there's this one great scene where this guy is trying to catch up to the serial killer and he's driving against traffic and it literally felt like a scene out of that movie. And uh, we made it safe and sound, like avoiding head-on collisions and he actually like avoided an accident. This guy's about to turn into us and he he went flying in this other lane to save us. So he, he, he had his moments where like, hey, hey man, he at least, he at least did his job. He saved your life. Yeah, yeah. He threatened our lives and saved your it. life. It's yeah. kind of like it all right. evens out. Yeah. <laughs> you died that day, but a little bit later than you would have. Yeah, all, in all of us in. like uh, we all lost a little bit of faith in yeah. uh, in just being in a vehicle that yeah. day. Yeah, 
Um, I've heard so. I've heard. I haven't had these situations before, but I've heard similar stories where people are like, "Driver was insane," and right. I just accepted my fate. It's like yeah. the scene in Toy Story where they're all moving towards yeah. the dump <laughs> Toy Story fire, 3. and they all yeah, Toy yeah. Story three, and they all hold hands. It's like there's this moment where you just accept your death. Right. Yeah. And it always makes you. It's like what's that one thing? Uh, the funniest scene um, in Almost Famous. Have you seen that? Yes. yes. You know when the plane's going down? Yeah. And the guy's like, like, I'm gay. I'm gay. <laughs> yeah. And then he just like, all of a sudden the plane like recorrects. He's just looking around like. <laughs> yeah, it's great. It's so funny. Yeah. yeah. Um, no, those, I haven't had those moments. I mean, everybody's had that moment flying probably, I think. Yeah. You know, there's a something about flying is that you're completely a total loss of control. Like even in yeah. a car, you could theoretically grab the steering wheel. Yeah. But you're not grabbing steering wheels, you know, in a 747. No, you're <laughs> so not. You're just, no, you are out you're, of control. You're, you're strapped in there. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and you know, you just you just hope that uh, you know you're going to make it there fine, and uh, most likely you will. And most likely yeah. we. Yeah. I use. I sometimes get anxious flying, and um, I. It's one of the few times that I find that like a stat can keep me. A stat, a, a statistic. Right. Oh yeah, yeah, actually yeah. calms my nerves. Where I'm like, you're more likely to die and route to the airport than you are in the flight. Right, itself. like the dumb and, and dumber. And I just say that yeah. to myself over and over again. Where it's like the odds of you dying mm-hmm. are very. The odds of this plane going down are very, 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 very. You low. know, one thing I read once they said that when you're on a plane, you may actually be in the safest part. That's like the safest part of your day is being on the plane. That's what they That's say. Safer yeah. than the even the airport. You know. Um. I'm yeah. So in to to again to like be thoughtful instead of funny. There's this idea that it's like, um, so I was having this things. I you know I was having these anxieties when I was flying. And yeah. Instead, I was I was going down these thought spirals of like envisioning the death, my death itself, the acceptance where you're sure, like, oh yeah. shit. You know, if you've ever watched any of the footage online when people have severe turbulence and people pull out their cell phones and they film and you hear people praying and people have accepted you just too turbulence, huh? Yeah, yeah. I mean, extreme turbulence, bad turbulence, where yeah. people really think they're going down. Wow. And yeah. there's yeah, and this has happened a couple times over the last three years mostly between like Chicago and New York there's like some weird pocket where people hit and it's like like gonna, something in the air yeah and uh-huh. I had a coworker on one of these flights and but um but yeah so I I go I would go down these thought spirals and lately I've been uh instead I've been focusing on this idea of what you said this is the safest part of my day right Th- this is technically and like statistically incredibly safe Mm -hmm. you are robbing yourself of something that is extraordinary it is it really is people really we are so lucky to live in this tip of the fingernail of human history yeah this little pocket this little pocket where we get to look out a window and be 30,000 feet above the (laughs) earth that's incredible that's yeah, amazing. It is incredible. And if we're not careful, I mean, this is, I think this is an analogy for a lot of lives, anxieties and fears and things like that. Right. If we're not careful, we risk missing this incredible moment. Yeah. If you're, you know, angsted and stressing out the whole time, um, you know, if you, if you were able to, like we were talking about earlier, get out, out of the way of yourself. Yeah. And then just, yeah. just, just be there. Just, just be cool, man. Yeah. You know? Just be cool. And the funny thing is, I, I've gone on flights where they've had a poker app and, and like you could play poker with the other passengers. Like, yeah. like there's so many fun things yeah. you could do on a plane. Yeah. You know? 
Yeah, I've never done that before. But yeah, I'm gonna do it me next. neither. But uh, yeah, yeah. you can. Yeah, <laughs> you can. Yeah, you can. I do think that. there were f- flights where you could like chat with somebody, and I, was, I thought this is getting a little too intimate. <laughs> Someone sexting. You're like, yeah, you're dude, like, dude. dude. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So I, I don't know. It's it's um, it's it, it it really is one of those things where it's like, oh, all this anxiety and fear that we invite into our lives all the time. Yeah, mm-hmm. if we could shut that off, think about how much more we could enjoy. Yeah. Oh my God. I hope people find this podcast uplifting and inspiring. I think so. I I, I don't think we've been um we've been you know da- downing anything. No, this so has not far. been morose. I yeah. think we've been really like this is how we improve. We're yeah. like young Tim Ferrisses. Tim Ferriss. Who who is? I know he's like this. He's like this self not self help. He's like kind of a part of this new age of like self improvement. Okay, he yeah. has a podcast. Well, I'm definitely um as you saw with the Dale Carnegie. Yeah. Yeah, I, I I've always been interested in uh, self improvement. Yeah, and some people I've recommended that book. A lot of people are very um, uh, in, into that idea. Like, yeah, yeah, that sounds great. And yeah. other people, I'll let them borrow it, and it's just what didn't even read one page. Yeah, so it, it's an interesting it's thing. So, this this particular book, I, I remember p- I picked it up when I was younger. And yeah, I remember not connecting with it very well, but also going through stages of, of, of really. Like, yeah, when yeah. I read this book, I just thought it was an easy book to read. Like I was, it was captivating. It's easy. Yeah, it's yeah. totally. Re- I'm reading a really great book right now. Well, I'm going to correct that. I'm reading a book right now uh-huh. called Mindset, <laughs> and the message is really great. Yeah. But I find these holes in when they write these self-improvement books that are based on on actual like scientific data, huh. where but okay. they're written colloquially, so they speak in these broad generalizations to prove mm. their point, and it kind of bugs me. You want something like, more niche to what you do? I want something do, a little thing, more nuanced. So I don't want like this broad... like. And all of the students improved their scores. Oh, and I'm like, well, yeah. well, that can't be true. Like, can you just moderate your language so that I believe you more? It's like a salesman. It's like, I if see. you tell me everything's going to be perfect with this product, <laughs> I'm probably going to have, I'm probably going to doubt you I'm more I'm probably going to worry about yeah, something. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but it's called Mindset. And I think it pertains a little bit to some of the topics we talked about today. Um in the ideas that we we have these two mindsets we have a f- there there are two mindsets we can exist in right um fixed mindset and growth mindset and mm, yeah and we can have a fixed mindset or a growth mindset in different parts of our life but right. the idea of a fixed mindset is that we think that I, I mentioned it before i was talking about you know this idea of like uh when i was struggling between music and comedy is like mm-hmm. oh where is this font of talent what is going to unleash it what's the best path to realizing my greatness and that's a fixed mindset where you come at it like oh it's already inside me it's baked inside me you're sort of already calling your own shots in a way yeah it's actually and it's not a great thing because no no because the growth mindset the alternative the growth mindset is is really focused on our ability that that we are malleable we can improve ourselves Mm -hmm. and the process of becoming a great musician or a great comedy writer is just all about doing improvement the work and, and, doing improvement. and screwing up and doing better. Yeah, exactly. Now, a fixed mindset goes into every task with a heap of anxiety about, will this prove my genius oh, or will wow. this betray yeah. my failure? You know, it's funny because I, I think we all go, go through that concept. Mm-hmm. Um, Different parts of our lives. And I think it's scary mm-hmm, to fail mm-hmm. for everybody, but I think for the fixed mindset. It is. It's, I, and I can say this because like, when I was doing improv at UCB, you know, at this point, I'm in a, a, a great sketch group. 
do we have career prospects in the long term? Probably not, but we're respected in the New York comedy scene. We're traveling around the country doing, you know, we're generally pretty successful at this niche little tiny pocket of comedy. Yeah. Um, and then I go into improv and every, and we're talking like 101, 201. I'm just learning, but every scene becomes a, uh, basically a, I can't think of the word, but it becomes this litmus of innate talent. Am I good enough for this industry? Mm-hmm. Am I good enough? Am I, sp- am I sp- more special or better yeah. than everybody else? Right. That's this, this fixed mindset coming to play. It, it's funny because I do believe in innate talent. I think some mm-hmm. people are, are born with, with an edge. I agree with know? that. Yeah. And, um, it's a funny concept. Some people, they're, they're really afraid of that idea. Yeah. You know? Um, and to me, it's just the kind of thing that, um, just because let's say someone is born with an edge, there's probably someone born with a bigger edge as well. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So it could, it can always, you can always, uh, uh, you know, have like a, uh, debilitating mindset. You know, even if you are talented, you can still like get in the way of yourself. Like we're saying again, I you think know? it's, yeah. And I think it's important to, to think too, that, um, that, other people's greater talent doesn't negate your ability to catch up or to find your place in the career of your choice. I think, mm-hmm. but it's when we seek to be the best that we create issues for ourselves. I, I almost yeah, think that like you're just trying to be the best. Ambition yeah. is, I don't know, this is a really broad statement, but it's like ambition is kind of poison. And don't we do music? We make music. You make music. I've made comedy yeah. for for yes the reward of a great piece of work it's it's mm-hmm. fun but when you have a piece of work that you're like I'm so proud that I made this and it's here in perpetuity and now it's something I can share with people but you also have to love the process yes absolutely um the process is really really the most magical time in a way you know yeah. w- when you when you have that moment where like oh I just finished the the joke Right and and like it's killing you know oh, all my yeah. friends are just just love this line that that I just yeah. had or it's like finally I got this bridge I've been waiting I got yeah. it's been two months and it's been killing it me I've been, I've been up every other right? night you know yeah exactly and it just comes to you it always comes to you it, it's almost like you can keep searching and searching which y- you need to do but yeah. it, it's a gift it's a yeah. gift from wh- whatever you want to call it yeah you know. But loving for you, you know, loving getting in and and mixing and put and laying down the tracks and things like right, that. Right, the whole, the yeah, whole shebang whole of thing, it. Yeah, because the truth of the matter is that our we were talking about movies, people, mm-hmm. um, you know, having successful films and then they, they having these sort of um, lumpy careers where they have uh, great successes and great failures. Yeah, and it's like the only you know. You can have that career. You you can approach it however you want. But if you approach it from a perspective of you're only looking for outcome, that means that fifty percent of their career is spent in like head bashing misery, where they're like, <laughs> right. "I'm a fucking failure. Mm-hmm. Look at this garbage I made." Or if you love the process, you're like, "I made this and it didn't work, but fuck, I had fun doing it, and right. I'll learn from it. And what's next?" One, one funny thing I I heard that uh, it's just as hard to make a a good movie as it is to make a bad movie <laughs> which is kind of true <laughs> that know? is true um, it's just as hard to write that crappy song as it is to write the good yeah, one yeah know? it's really true it's so true yeah. you know yeah there's actually a really great exercise in improv where 
Um, and this is what happens is you go through this tra- improv training mm-hmm. and by about level two is when level one is like you're just playing, right? It's play. You don't know the right. rules. You don't know rules necessarily. There shouldn't be rules when you're just starting, I think. Just, right, right. Just get out just there. Just get out just there. do something. Yeah. yeah, and they don't want to scare people away. You just want to have fun. Right. Um, level two is when they start teaching you the rules. Okay. By the end of level two, usually people are very in their head. Mm, that makes sense because you start to, you're already putting up borders. Right, you right. Know, borders you're, to your creativity. You're starting to block yourself, and you don't know which. Yeah. You you haven't created paths of flow that follow the rules, but are organically your own. You know what right. I mean? Right. I, I know what you're saying. Okay. Yeah. Um, kind of abstract, but the the bottom line is, by the time you get to three, you're in your head. Mm-hmm. By the time you get to mm-hmm. level three, mm-hmm. you are in your head. I would and imagine that you're probably in your head for a while. Oh, two is torture. Everybody talks torture, about like, yeah. yeah, I remember my my level Terrible two was twos, just right? like, oh my yeah. god, it was rough. Um. And uh, so we all went into th- we all go into three sort of just like oh god I'm so in my head and I remember this exercise has come up a couple of times um, in different improv classes uh-huh. but it's so great is the teacher just tells us to go up and do the worst improv scene possible. I love that that's great yeah. that's yeah. great and do so, the worst possible yeah and so you go up there and you break all the rules you mm-hmm. can. Okay. Which okay. is, you know, typical improv rules is like defining the, 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 who you are, where you are, the, you know, these very simple things that you want to line up in the first sentence, if you can. Sure. Denying those, denying your partner, these things <laughs> that go against all the things in your gut. Right. And what's interesting is you learn a couple of things is that, um, is that in that process, you end up super liberated. Sure. And, sure. And in, and, people end up having fun and being relaxed and finding things and finding like a little bit of confidence in themselves that's valuable. But then the other thing that's funny is that you start to realize how you already have the instincts to follow the rules. And yeah, that makes sense. it's actually harder to break them than you think. Hmm. That you've already been trained into some sense of, of, of how to support your partner. Like I, I, I would think that just from growing up watching... TV shows, watching movies, mm-hmm. that it gets ingrained to you subconsciously. Yeah. Kind of like what, yeah. you know, like this is what the character would, you know, obviously the characters in Hong Kong, they're going to talk about Hong Kong. They're not going to talk about, you know, being in more in LA. That is that kind of like a rule? Right. That, that's kind of right. probably a dumb rule. But well, well if, no, if <laughs> you, you know, that is the rule. It's like yeah. if somebody says, hey, we're in, we're in Hong Kong. You don't, did you say Bangkok or Hong Kong? Uh, like, hey, like, oh, we're in Hong Kong. Oh <laughs> yeah. yeah, check out the Empire State Building. Exactly. Yeah, that's like, like a yeah. classic um, so that'd be a major improv mistake. Major improv obviously. mistake, and when they send you up there, that's probably one of the first things you'll f- do is deny your partner what they've gifted you. Right, like, right. <laughs> um, but but yeah, it's a fun thing. That it's a fun thing, and you're right. It actually, I think one of one of my memories of this and it was that it's actually harder. It's hard to do a really really bad improv. It's hard. Interesting. To, yeah. The worst improv scenes are actually born out of inaction or um like freezing or freezing or not or not sharing it's almost you're better off being bold and wrong Mm. than you are withholding and fearing making the wrong choice yeah Yeah. that makes sense um it seems like yeah if you were to see a comedian act that way on stage you know be be afraid to just kind of let loose obviously yeah. the show's going to suffer you know yeah. and it'd be it'd be like a like the musician uh the musician has his solo yeah. and he's like wait am i going to play the right note 
Yeah. Like, I, but I, this is going back <laughs> to what you're saying is get out of your own way. Yeah, get, get, a, these are, get out of your hard, own damn my, way. This is a hard lesson, but yeah. um, my uh, I, I had an early improv teacher that used to call it the screaming kittens. The screaming like, kittens. Screaming kittens <laughs> in your head. It's you get on stage right. and suddenly you can't hear your own instincts because... Mm-hmm. there's this white noise that's filled your brain and it's like oh god yeah I mean yeah just you know kittens are just so cute how can you not stop thinking of them I know it's yeah. true it's true <laughs> the their screams are it's like damn it why do you have to say kittens adorable. I yeah. know <laughs> it's like you made it yeah. even harder <laughs> I know it's but it is, it is like it, I don't know I never I, I'll tell you improv for me never never became fun it, sketch was always our jam right it was always it was always like a well. You you seem more like a like a sketch thinker. Yeah, I know? am definitely definitely. I, I feel like improv is more like you're saying you're you you are the uh, jokester and, and mm-hmm. like like jumping around like, like in person for short form in, for short form in particular where you're going for snappy okay witticisms. Right. Long form lets you be really thoughtful and and um and there are some really great like TJ and Dave are these great great two person uh great two person. Improvisers and they mm-hmm. can and they're so comfortable with silence and I mean I've seen some yeah improv can go there yeah um, but I think for me sketch was safer because I could pre-write all this stuff and yeah and I'm a mix is, between a writer it is, performer, it is safer so. in that yeah. in that sense of course of course you know I'm gonna ca- contradict this okay good I'm gonna contradict this what is that I said good what was that. Oh, it, that, that was a burp. Oh, that was a, that was a <laughs> nice, polite burp. Nice. That was too. very polite of you. Yeah. yeah, get it away from me. Yeah, yeah. Um, keep that keep that stench on this side of the room. Bob Odenkirk. Everybody knows him now as uh, as um, uh, Saul from uh, Oh Better Call Saul. Better Call Saul. Yeah, I, I um, saw him one time at catering. This this sign fell down. Oh, and he uh, he ran up and put it back up, which I thought was cool. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> oh, hold on, hold on one second. Um, Milady's calling me. Um, oh, but her on. Just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. Yeah. Hold on, I'm gonna just text her right now. <laughs> for sure. For sure. Um, oh, I'm just gonna take this call, and we can just edit this out. Yeah. Go says, for it. Go for Hello? it. Hello. Hi. Hi. Yes, indeed. Yeah. Do you want to swing by? Okay. All right. See you in a bit. All right. Bye. So, um, I'm gonna put these back on, and then I'm gonna say. So, anyhow, yeah. Bob Odenkirk. Better Call Saul. Everybody knows Better Call right. Saul. He's actually the 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 person who wrote the Matt Foley sketch Down by a River sketch. Okay, uh, uh, came out of uh, um, Second City. Uh, went to SNL, wrote a lot of great sketches in the early '90s, and then was part of that show, Mister Show, with uh, David Cross. Mr. Show. I don't I think, think I know. It's like late 90s, early 2000s sketch. No, it's late 90s. Late uh, 90s, okay. Yeah, HBO, I think. Um, so, so anyhow, um, he caused a little controversy in about 2008 or nine, and he went on record saying that he thought improv was kind of a parlor trick because the expectations for improv are different than the expectations for sketch. A lot of people... I mean, sketch comedy is hard for a lot of people. I've seen a lot of oh, I'm shitty sure. fucking sketch comedy. Oh, there's got to be just the, oh, the, yeah. the worst of the worst at a sketch, at yeah. bad sketch comedy, I'm sure. Now, yeah. I don't endorse his statement that improv is a parlor trick. I think it's magical to watch. I think it's total Absolutely. magic. But it is a different expectation. Uh, when people try to move an improv idea to sketch comedy, it fails often because the expectations of the audience are different. Yeah, you go into a I sketch show expecting tight material with clear 
heightened concepts. Right. It's been thought out. It's yeah. not. It's not uh, off the cusp. It's been tended to, so, so. to speak. You know? Yeah. So. So yeah, it's it's um it's a different beast, and I think to I think they're both hard in their own way, but it's like I grew up with sketch, yeah, and and I'm way too much of a perfectionist, or was way too much of a perfectionist to. So okay, yeah. uh, one one last question, and then yeah. we can start wrapping up. So, right. who's your favorite? Uh, you don't have to pick one favorite, but who's who's just a comedian? Just just one of your favorite guys, oh you know, that, that just influences you. I I mean, he doesn't influence me, but. I love how fucking weird Will Forte can be. Will Forte, yeah, I don't yeah. know if I know, I know him. Yeah, um, he was on SNL in like the let me let me thousands. Let me look up. Uh, let me see his face. See if I've seen him around. I mean, I was a really big fan of Tim and Eric too. Okay, I have seen him. And it's day. Okay, so you do like Tim and Eric? Oh, I, I you love know what? Tim and Eric. I, I feel like the. Uh, what is it? It's not Penny Plus. It's Penna Plus. Penna Plus. Yeah. Penna Plus had a little bit of a Tim and Eric vibe. If you Google. Um, no, it's probably not on here. We had some weird stuff in our earlier days, and it's it, it's in somewhere deep in the internet. Yeah. Um. But but yeah, we were very Tim and Eric inspired in in the early. Oh, days. I love this one too. The, yeah. the exploding fist. Yeah. <laughs> but you can see we moved towards like uh, just tried to gel our sensibilities with. Yeah, with uh, it's funny. I so, mean, so what's the uh, the women the women's virgin? Uh, I don't know. We version. Maybe <laughs> that's the sequel. Is to that it. the uh, Gina Gina maybe, Plus Gina, Gina Plus Gina Plus? Yeah. Oh boy, don't even want to get into that one. <laughs> Gina um, minus. <laughs> <laughs> just get just get rid of it. Yeah, yeah. Who needs it? Who needs it? <laughs> Me too. You can edit that out at the. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we could um, get out the weird stuff out. Um, um, yeah, I have to pee terribly, so that's probably a good time to. All right. Well, it, there's there's never a time to end a podcast than when someone has to use the bathroom. Yeah. So let's let's end it there. Let's end it there. Yeah. <laughs> we'll edit that out too. No, we're we're gonna keep we're gonna keep that. We got to have one terribly awkward moment. Okay. In there. Good. Good. Yeah. So right. anyway, you've been li- listening to Shay's Lounge. This is Anthony Shay, and I'm with John Pack here. It was wonderful. It's been a fun time. So uh, thanks for listening, and we'll be back uh, next week most likely with episode two guest unannounced thanks again yay hey that was pretty good yeah that was fun that's, i have to that pee great yeah, yeah yeah do your oh.